We are week three in our series called Untangling Legalism. Uh, we are looking at uh, five different words that tend to, I believe, trip Christians up into a more fear-based way of thinking about God and life with God than through the lens of freedom. And so two weeks ago, we talked about the word conviction, or uh, last week we talked about conviction, and two weeks ago, uh, we talked um, about the word confession. And so kind of the tagline of the series is reclaiming and reframing some words through the lens of the truth and the grace of Jesus, because I believe all the words that we're going to talk about are gospel-centered, liberating words for us uh, toward freedom and grace. And so I'm, I hope that you are enjoying uh, this uh, five-week series coming out of our Galatians series. By just word of forecast, uh, we're going to be moving in October. We're going to do a series in the Gospel of Matthew called King Jesus, and so I'm excited about that as well. Uh, but today's word is repentance. Repentance. Some of you are already triggered a little bit probably by the word repentance. Uh, someone comes to you with a, a serious face and a serious tone and they say to you, you need to repent. And you in that moment are thinking and feeling what? Uh, perhaps... Uh, Perhaps there's some defensiveness with some resistance if someone comes to you with that statement, perhaps even some anger in you, perhaps a thought enters your brain like, who are you to tell me to repent? Perhaps also uh, some guilt and shame perhaps might trigger in you if somebody comes to you with that statement, with that tone and that voice, a sense perhaps of even being exposed um, and the thought could be, I have been bad, I, I am bad. And there's a sense of shame and humiliation when you hear that. I would venture to say, this is just for your consideration, from my own experience, I would venture to say that a majority of Christians view repentance in this pressure-oriented, uh, more negative light. Um, I would venture to say that from my experience. And so, therefore, the spiritual practice of repentance is often or could be uh, resisted instead of embraced. Um, like the word confess two weeks ago, like the word convict from last week, uh, it has been this word repentance. The practice of repentance, I believe, has been uh, hijacked by religion uh, and a behavior modification lens of walking with Jesus, and we need to reclaim it, and we need to reframe it. Uh, I believe that for most of us, the word repentance is connected to sin in this way. It's two sides of the same coin. When I think about repentance, I think about sin. Two sides of the same coin. It's a requirement in our lives of dealing with sin. It's a tool. Repentance is a tool to keep us in line, and repentance is a way for us to keep an angry God happy. And so we embrace this, this spiritual practice of repentance. Uh, here is a religious cycle uh, that I think many of us have probably been tripped up in in our lives. And here's the cycle. Uh, we confess all of our known sins. Uh, we ask God to forgive us. We're not really sure if he will, but we're really hoping he does. And so we confess and then we ask God to give us uh, forgiveness and then we repent or turn away, and we connect repentance to turning away uh, from 
sin. Some teachers uh, are kinder in this approach. They're gentler, they're kinder in the approach to teaching about repentance, uh, but I believe the impact is the same. Uh, It is a treadmill of religious activity where we are, hear this, where we are saved by grace, we're saved by grace, but we perfect in the flesh by our good works. We're saved by grace, we, we understand that we're saved by grace, but really Walking with God, sanctification, which will be our word next week, is really up to me. Uh, And we perfect in the flesh by our good works. And I want to tell you one person that's really excited for you to make an agreement with this idea that we're saved by grace and we're perfected by our good works. And the person is your enemy, Satan himself. It would be delighted for Christians to think that, yes, we're saved by grace, but we perfect in our flesh what God has done for us. Um, When we think in a works-oriented way of thinking about God, what happens is I'm perfecting in the flesh this works way of thinking about life with God. Uh, What what we think and the experience that we have is it keeps my eyes uh, focused on myself instead of keeping my eyes focused on Jesus. And when we do that, when our eyes are more focused on ourselves and what we're doing, are you with me right now? Instead of on Jesus and what he has done for us and the empowerment of grace, we, we, we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to the enemy's deception. When our eyes are on ourselves and not on Jesus, we are vulnerable to deception. Uh, uh, a lie like this, you're not doing enough, you're not working hard enough, you're not a strong enough Christian, you're not doing it right enough for God to love you, forgive you, accept you. We're vulnerable to that kind of lie when our focus is on ourselves and not on Jesus himself. Um, it keeps us this way of thinking about perfecting in the flesh. It keeps us from, in, in, in a, uh, I, I would say, a sin-focused mentality as opposed to a righteous, by faith focus mentality when we keep our eyes on ourselves, which makes us vulnerable to shame and humiliation. Here's shame, by the way. Shame isn't believing the lie that, you know, I made a mistake. Here's what shame does. Here's what the lie of shame does. It connects the mistakes we make to our personhood. And so we believe this lie that I'm, I'm not making mistakes. I actually am a mistake. And we feel that sense of shame, and the enemy gets a real foothold in our lives in that way. Here's my goal today as we think about the word repentance. Uh, I want to help us think about the word repentance through the lens of the grace and the freedom and the love and the compassion of King Jesus. I want us to help us connect repentance to King Jesus to help us understand that repentance really is a way, a liberating way to experience real breakthrough in our lives to overcome and grow and be changed. We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago from John chapter 8. Jesus said this in John 8, you will know the truth, the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What will set you free? What will set you free in your life? What will set me free in my life? Is it wallowing in a never-ending religious cycle of questioning whether I've done enough for God to love me, forgive me, accept me? Or, Or is it knowing the truth of God's amazing grace? 
so that we can experience the breakthrough that Jesus has empowered us. So I, I want to talk about the truth of repentance because I believe that it has been hijacked. I'm going to make um, four key points, and then we're going to talk about a really famous parable uh, to finish this morning and thinking about repentance in a new, fresh way. So uh, key point number one uh, is this. Repentance, it's just the definition. Like, confess means agree with. Conviction means to be convinced of. Repentance, we connect repentance to turning away from sin. Here's what repentance actually means. Some of you know this. It means to think again. It means to rethink or to change your mind. We can think wrongly about all kinds of things, right? We can think wrongly about all kinds of things, life things, spiritual things, relationship things. We can think wrongly about all kinds of things. Repentance is just thinking rightly. It's leaving a wrong thought and embracing a true thought. That's really simply what the word means, embracing the truth of the matter. So here's a lie of the enemy. You have to be good enough, hear this, alive the enemy to you as followers of Jesus, you have to be good enough and act good enough for God to continue to love and accept you. Here's the truth, here's the truth. And so the invitation of the truth is to repent, to repent, to rethink, because here's the truth, God does not require me to be good enough for him to love me. It's unconditional love. Grace is one-way love. Like we, when we get tripped up in this conditional way of thinking about the love of God, we can embrace repentance to rethink, oh, God loving me is unconditional and I'm at rest because of that truth. When we rebuke a lie, when we sever an agreement with a lie and we accept the truth, that is the breakthrough of repentance. When we walk away, when we sever a relationship with a lie and we embrace the truth. I believe that repentance is a gift of God's grace to us. God wants to give you the gift this morning, church family, of repentance. Because when we have the ability to receive truth, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. When we're able to receive the truth from the word of God and the truth from the leading of the Holy Spirit, we get transformed by it and we overcome in our lives. It's a gift to embrace repentance in our lives. So it means to think again or rethink. Key point number two, we, we have connected repent to our behavior. When I say you need to repent, the thought often for us is, what did I do wrong? What is it? This person is calling me out. They're pointing out something in my life. We connect repentance to our behavior. Key point number two, repentance is connected to what we believe, how we think. That is the connect for repentance. Jesus' very first public message, Matthew chapter four, you don't need to turn there, but his first like public message is in Matthew chapter four, and here's what he said, repent of your sins, you low down scandals, or God is going to strike you down. It's not, it's not what it says. It's not what it says in Matthew four. Here is the first public proclamation of Jesus the Messiah in Matthew chapter four, it's verse 17, and Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is near rethink, change your mind, because the kingdom of God is near. In other words, Messiah has come, Savior, the Savior is here. 
people needed to rethink, people needed to change their minds about how to know God, how to be in a relationship with God. The Messiah was right in their midst. And so he calls them to rethink previously held beliefs. We're moving away from the old covenant of law, and Jesus is inaugurating the new covenant of his grace. And so he calls people in Matthew 4 to change your mind about how to know God. I am here, and I am ushering in a brand new way. Repentance, church, is about belief in the way we think. Key point number three I'll let you do it, Sarah. I'm having a hard time with my clicker. Thank you. Um, Repentance is a pathway to experiencing the transforming power of truth and freedom to overcome. To be sure, I I want you to hear me say this. To be sure, what we believe, what I believe, how I think, how you think, what you believe, that drives how we live. I don't think I need to try to convince you of that truth. What you think and how you believe drives how you live your life, how you make decisions in your life. And therefore, repentance, the idea of repentance and the practice of repentance certainly, certainly includes rethinking about our, our struggles, about our mistakes, about our, our sin and the real life consequences because of it. Certainly, it includes the process of rethinking how we live. That's absolutely true, but repentance, hear this, should not be laser focused on only our sin, because if we do that, hang with me and and track with me on this, if we do that, we actually don't get to the main issue in our lives. We actually don't get down into the root problem, which is our minds and what we believe. If we only rethink the deed, the the mistake that we continue to make, that thing that we can't quite shake in our lives, and we don't rethink false beliefs or false agreements that produces and drives our action in our life, we don't get down into the root issue, and it will show up again most likely. But when we truly get into the root issue, which is what we, how we think and what we believe, when repentance gets down into that space, we can experience real, real transformation in our lives. A true repentance is changing our minds, which can change the power of sin in our life. Did you know that Jesus died to, to take away the penalty of sin in our life, right? That's what we just sang about in the hymns that we just sang about. But also, Jesus died to take away the power of sin in our lives as well, the penalty and the power of sin. Jesus saved us from all of that reality. God has given us the empowerment we need to rethink rethink so that we can be more and more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus. This is what Paul calls the renewing of our minds in Romans chapter, the renewing of our minds, transformation, overcoming. A key point number four, uh, I would say to you that true repentance is relational in nature. And so let's embrace it with joy. We have an intimate relationship with God that we can call God the Father, Abba, and we can call Jesus the Savior, friend. God has given us the ability as sons and daughters to be adopted into the family to have an intimate relationship with him. And so let's 
Let's embrace repentance, not with resistance, but with joy because it is relational in nature. God's relationship with us is always through the lens of his love and grace and forgiveness. Always. It's always through the lens of compassion. Did you know that in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. So when we go to someone and we say, you need to repent, that's not the Holy Spirit. Are you with me right now? God's kindness, his compassion, his mercy, his grace, that's what leads people to actual real change. Romans 2 verse 4, and God has called us to a life of rethinking, of repentance, so that we can be free in Christ. 1 Peter 5 10, and the God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. The God of all grace will do the work when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, praise be to God, to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, the God of all grace, the God of all comfort, The kindness of God leads us to rethink, to change our minds, to be transformed and to overcome. And so I would say to you today, through the lens of grace and freedom, let us repent, church. Let us change our minds to center our lives in Jesus and the gospel of grace because Jesus has died and rose again and is offering you abundant life. So let us repent this morning in that way. He's not mad at you. Jesus isn't mad at you. He's not angry with you. He has not moved away from you. He is running. He is running to you. The God of all grace, the God of all comfort, his kindness, he is running to you. And I want to I join in the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and fighting for your freedom in a fresh way this morning. I am battling the lies of religion, and I'm battling the lies of the enemy this morning, and I'm rebuking the lies of shame and fear that attach to our lives so that the truth of the gospel of grace is primary in our thinking, and when it's primary in our thinking, we get transformed. And I want to use this famous parable that so many of you know so well to highlight why I see this parable, Luke 15, the story, you know it as the lost son or the prodigal son. But I would say it's a story of the prodigal God because the word prodigal means extravagant. And we look at Luke 15 and we, and we, we think about this parable. It's really about the extravagant grace of the father. It's really the story of the prodigal God or the prodigal father. I'm not going to look at the whole passage, but let me remind you of the story because I, I, I believe that this parable will help us understand what true freedom repentance really means for our lives. Right? The parable of the lost son, it gives us insight into true repentance and transformation. Here's a quick overview. overview. The, son demanded, the son demanded his inheritance early from the father, which basically just means this in that culture, you are dead to me. I want my inheritance now, and I am leaving the family, right? And so he demands his inheritance early, and he leaves to this faraway land, the the scripture says, to pursue wild living. And there's a famine in the faraway country, and the son's going hungry. He had attached himself to a pig farmer, and he was so hungry that he was literally eating, eating the food prepared for the pigs, Here's Luke 15, 17. 
Luke 15, 17. And the son, here's the phrase, and the son came to his senses. The son came to his senses. He was thinking differently, right? He came to his senses. He began, the son, faraway country, eating pig food. He began to change his mind. He began to have some breakthrough in his thinking. Home is better. Home is better. Home is better. But his thinking, hear me say this, his thinking needed more breakthrough because he was still connecting his sin of leaving his family, getting his inheritance early, and leaving. He was still connecting that to, to his shame. Like he was beginning to get some breakthrough. He was beginning to come to his senses. Home is better, but he was still connecting his sin to his shame. And we see that in verse 19, if we can pull that up. And he says, he's preparing, he's preparing his speech to his father when he goes home. And he's preparing it this way. And he says, I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he's, he's beginning to get some breakthrough of going home, but he's still connecting his sin to his Shame. He doesn't see himself as a son. He sees himself as a servant. He's going to go there as a beggar, hoping that his father will take him back as a servant. Um, he's thinking, I don't deserve grace because of my failure. I'll be a servant. He did not yet know of the extravagant, prodigal grace that he would encounter when he got home. He did not yet know that the Father's grace and kindness would literally run to him and he would get the full breakthrough of what true repentance really, really does. And I want to read this part of the story. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 15 uh, real quick. And I'm going to read uh, just uh, 20 to 24. So again, he's beginning to get some breakthrough in his thinking. He's beginning to get uh, some movement in repentance. But again, his repentance needed fuller breakthrough because he was still connecting sin to his shame. And he gets home. This is 2024, the famous story uh, in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son and the prodigal father. So when he got up and he went to his father, he left. He, he left where he was and he went home but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and the father ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him and the son said to him here's the here's the speech here's the shame speech of the son you ready for this here it is and the son said to the father father i have sinned against heaven and against you and i'm no longer worthy to be called your son very next verse, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast or let's have a party and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Here's what I want you to see in these verses. The son gets his speech out. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'll be a hired servant. But did you notice what happened in the next verse? The father didn't even acknowledge it. When he gets out his shame speech, the father didn't even acknowledge it. He literally just ignored the shame speech of the son. There was no anger 
He had just kissed him all over. There was no anger present. There was no mention from the father to him of what was lost. There was no requirement of penance that the son had to pay. Hear this, from the father to the son, his sin was never even mentioned at all in the story. Here's what I want you to see in this. The grace of the Father, the grace and the compassion of the Father does not negotiate with the shame of the sin of the Son. Grace doesn't negotiate with our shame speech. Grace just welcomed the Son home, forgave the Son, and they threw a party. And I think that is amazing. And I think that is an, an incredible picture of what true repentance really looks like. You see, a legalistic approach to repentance is penance. You got to pay penance. Yeah, I hear that you're sorry and that you're saying you're repentant, but you got to do something to prove that you are sincere. Are you with me right now? Like, you got to show me in some action. I don't see the father doing that to the son in this story, do you? We don't see at all how Jesus describes true repentance and restoration here. The picture that Jesus paints of the Father is only through the lens of radical grace. And the only one in the story, and we'll read this in a second, that didn't join the, you guys know this, there's one person in this story that didn't join the party. Who is it? The older brother. He didn't join the party. The father wasn't angry. The father wasn't angry when the son came home. He was overjoyed. You want to know who was angry? The older son was angry because what was happening wasn't fair. That's not fair that, that, this, that, that he gets this kind of embrace and he gets this party because legalistic people, they love fair and they love evaluation and they love measuring and that's the older brother. The father, he loves grace and forgiveness, and he likes throwing parties and celebrating grace. The older brother, legalistic, I'm not going in the party. Let's read the rest of the story, verse 25 to 32. So amazing to consider this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And he's like, what the mess is going on here? And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And the servant said, your brother, your little brother came home. He came home finally. And he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf. And because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, listen to me, dad. Can you feel the anger of the son? Look, all these years, all these years, I've been, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son, 
He didn't say, he's this son. See how, how unrelational that is? That this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes. He comes home and you kill the fatted calf. My son, and there's the grace of the father, even to the legalistic son. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. What the elder brother wanted was punishment, not a party. And that's, that's, that's the telltale sign of legalism, by the way. When you bring, when you bring confession to someone... And, you, and you're hoping that that confession is going to lend itself to, to repentance and restoration and healing, but it's a legalistic way of thinking. You're hoping, you're hoping for compassion, but when it's a legalistic culture, what you're going to get is penance and punishment. And that's what the older brother wanted. The older brother wanted punishment, and the older brother judged the father he was in judgment of the Father for giving out cheap grace. You ever heard that phrase before? Cheap grace or greasy grace. Got to be careful with cheap grace and greasy grace because people, I mean, they're going to, man, they're going to, I mean, you got to be, I mean, you got to balance truth with grace because if you give cheap grace or greasy grace, then people are going to go do whatever they want to do with it, right? Anybody heard that phrase before? That's the brother. Don't go too far, don't go too far with grace or people actually aren't going to change. But I'm going to tell you right now, there are testimonies after testimonies after testimonies in this church about a liberating life because of the liberating gospel of grace that we proclaim here and live in. What Jesus is describing in Luke 15 is repentance through the lens of radical grace. That's what, that's what I want to connect you with today. We are reclaiming and reframing repentance the way Jesus is teaching us in Luke 15. Welcome to the party of grace hosted by the Father. Repent and come on in. Come on in. That's the picture that Jesus paints here for repentance. The Father is hosting a party and you are invited. Come on into the party. Repent, believe that that is the heart of the Father for us this morning. Maybe your repentance today is joining the party. Maybe your repentance is being reminded again today that the grace of God doesn't just cover your sin, but it takes it away as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. Maybe repentance is understanding that true repentance is a gift that God has given us to empower us to be transformed and to overcome sin in our life. I, I know this is true. God is calling us, calling us to the gospel practice of true repentance. Amen? To rethink everything through the lens of the grace of Jesus. And I will say this to you. There is a robe of righteousness on you. Now, there is a robe of righteousness on you now. 
There is a ring on your finger, spiritually speaking, now that says you belong in the party with the family. The band has already started. The band has started. In fact, the band can come on up if you want to come on up. That was a fantastic transition right there. The band has started, and the dance floor is hopping. It is hopping. They are celebrating at this party of grace. That's where the life is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here with us. Not outside, not outside demanding what is fair and judging all of the people inside who are dancing. Legalists have a hard time with grace parties. Legalistic religion that thinks like the older brother thinks have a hard time with grace parties. And I say, so be it. Let's party anyway. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this, this parable that Jesus, that you taught us so that we would know, so that we would know the heart of the Father and that we would taste and see your goodness, your kindness, your compassion, your grace, your mercy. And that our sin is not more powerful than your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. So, Lord, we want to we repent today. We want to rethink. We want to change our minds in a fresh way to center our lives, our beliefs on the gospel, on Jesus, to be transformed by it, to be empowered to overcome. We bless your name, Jesus. We worship you now in response. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.